The chase. We're going to talk about the chase. And you know, I wonder what are some of the things that you're chasing? When you think about the chase, you think about your life, but what, what, what are some of those things? Is it a degree that you're chasing? Is that what you're chasing? Is it a relationship? Is it a promotion at work? What, what are these things that you end up looking out at life and go, hey, that's, that's what I'm chasing? Maybe for you, you feel like you've been left out of something and you're chasing to try to find a way in and you want to find what is that way. Maybe for you, you feel like you've been trapped, you've been stuck inside of something and you're going, hey, I'm, I'm trying to chase and find a way out. That, that is what I'm chasing. I think when it comes to the chase, that there are two different ways that we end up approaching what we chase in life. And, and when I think about those two different ways that we end up chasing, I think about a, a certain pair of shoes that my kids wear. Because, see, they have these, these shoes that they wear, and their shoes have two modes to them. And so you might have some of these two or seen some of these, but Crocs. And, and when it comes to Crocs, that, that my kids, they, they talk about these in two different modes. And so, so this mode for my kids is athletic mode. And then they also have a casual mode. And, and, and so that's what my kids call them. It's just like, you know, they're, they're going, hey, are, are you wearing them casual or are you wearing them athletic? Which way are you wearing those? You know, are you just going to kind of slowly walk around? Or are you going to be in a hurry and you're trying to get somewhere and you want to make sure you got sure footing? And so they do. They have this athletic mode and then they have casual mode. And when I think about what we do in life, is I think that we have both of these modes as well. That there are these things that we chase, and some of the things that we chase with life, we're just kind of casually chasing them. It's more like a casual pursuit. Hey, you know, kind of if it happens, if it works out, it's kind of okay. And then there's those things that we're in athletic mode, and we're like, we're, we're moving hard and fast and swift and trying to get there. Well, I think there's another thing that we should be chasing. And I think that other thing that we should be chasing is God. That we should be chasing God. And I wonder what comes to mind when you think about chasing God. I think that there is a question that we should be asking and we should be looking at this. And it's, have you ever been guilty of chasing the blessing of God more than God himself? You ever been guilty of that? I actually think that many people start their faith journey... By chasing the blessing of God before they ever chase him for who he is. That it's a, hey, I, I need this in life. I want this in life. And God, if you want to prove to me that you are real, then you need to come through with. And, and that's how many, they, they get their start. But it's not just them. I think those of us that are already convinced of who God is, those of us that already have Christ in our life, we get here too, where we, we become guilty of, of chasing the blessings of God more than we chase God himself. I, I know that I, I've been guilty of this, that, that, that for me, that, that I've just been guilty, and, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll pursue the blessings of God, and I'll pray for those blessings and pray for God to come through instead of just really pursuing him. That instead of chasing his hand to hold it and be close to him and near him, it's chasing the hand out. God, God here's, here's some things I want from you. Can you just deliver me these? And we do this. 
Think about the different ways that, that we ask God to bless us. We, we ask him to bless our food. We ask him to bless our kids. We ask him to bless our careers. We ask him to bless our marriages. We ask him to bless our material gain. We ask him to bless our friendships. There's a lot of things that we ask him to bless. And, and I don't want you to hear that and go, it's wrong to ask for God to bless those, because it's not. But when that is the limit of why we are chasing God, that's a problem. And that we need to chase God for who he is. That that's why we need to chase him. Because see, isn't it so easy to chase the blessing of God instead of chasing God himself? It's so easy to get to this place. Because we fail to just hang out with God. We, we, we fail to pursue him, to chase him for the sake of growing in our faith. Whether that is, I'm just kind of faith curious and trying to get to know God. Are you real? Or whether you're somebody that you're going, hey, I, I, I believe. And now I want to know even more. That this is what we need to be about. But for too many of us at best, we find ourselves pursuing, chasing God in casual mode. I'm just going to kind of casually approach the whole God thing. And that maybe as you casually approach it, maybe you're like somebody that's going, hey, I, I, I try to be in church at least half of the year. And so I, I think I'm doing pretty good. That's casual. You know what else I'd say? I'd say for the person that goes, hey, I won't miss more than three times a year. If church is the only time that you're trying to connect with God and grow in him, that's casual too. That that's not enough. That, that, that what we need to be doing is we need to get into athletic mode as we chase God. I, I wonder for you what comes to mind. What, what image comes to mind when it's this idea of the chase and chasing God? I, I think that we, we can get so distracted chasing other things that we never really pursue God. We, we, we get in athletic mode with other things in life and that at best we're in casual mode when it comes to chasing and pursuing God. Do we get to the place where we go, you know what, we're, we're just going to kind of wait on God. We're just going to be casual and we're just going to wait on God. But God doesn't wait on you. He chases after you. And so to understand the chase, that when we want to understand it, the chase is about a mutual pursuit. It's about God chasing us and us chasing God. It's a, this, this mutual pursuit where we are chasing after each other. And so when you think about God, I, I don't want you to think about, here, here's somebody who's hiding from you. The God's just hiding you. I don't want you to think about your life and go, well, I've done this. And, and you start thinking about all the things you've done to disappoint God. And you go, you know, I think God's just avoiding me because he's not. He's chasing after you. I, I, I don't think that, that God is somebody that's hiding from you. I don't think he's somebody that's avoiding you. God is running after you. He's not running from you. He's running full on to you. So we're going to take some time to try to understand the idea of 
the chase. And as we look to understand the idea of the chase, it, it's not this idea that, that God in the chase, he's, he's moving away from us. Sometimes, though, we end up moving away from him. That we're not moving closer toward him. Instead, we move further from him. And chasing things that pull us away from God makes our hearts grow hard. What do we do when we, when we chase these things? These things that end up pulling us away from God. It makes our hearts grow hard. So we're going to take a look over these next several weeks with this idea of the chase. And as we look and try to understand more of the heart of God, who God is and what God is up to, we're going to be looking at two different key people in our Bible. It's going to be the Old Testament, and it's going to be looking at this guy named Saul who has become the king, the very first king of Israel. And then we're going to be looking as well at the life of David, the one who will end up becoming the second king of Israel as we look and let this story completely unfold, as we begin to try to understand the chase. So as we look to this, we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're actually going to start in verse 13. And so just, this is just a, a quick synopsis of what you need to know and understand. That the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation, this nation that he set apart, that he started with one man named Abram and changed his name to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you and I'm, I'm going to use you to be a blessing to all generations and all nations. And I'm going to create a special nation through you. That, that God has fulfilled this. He's honored this. And, and now there is a nation with millions of people. They end up getting in captivity because they're disobeying God. God just kind of takes a step back and says, I'm just going to let you guys suffer the consequence of not leaning into and following me. And they're, they're captive for over 400 years under this tyrannical reign in Egypt, and, and they're, they're this tyranny that's coming up. And so they finally get set free from this. God uses a man named Moses to set them free. And now they are free, and, and now they are moving into their promised land, and, and they still, they've existed for hundreds of years, and they haven't had a king. But what they do is they, they end up begging God to give them a king. They keep begging and whining and begging and whining because they look at that nation and they got a king and that nation, they've got a king and that nation. And they, everywhere they looked, every nation has a king, but they couldn't see God as their king. As in literally, we don't see you, God, and so we need to see a king. And so they begged God to give them a king. So Saul becomes their first king, and they are so excited to have a king, and they are so excited to have Saul. Because see, Saul was, was a young man. He, he, he was a strong man. He was a handsome man. I, I'm just trying to be a good visual for you so you can get the idea. And so, so there's this Saul, and, and, and he's, he's this guy, and they're so excited to have him. But yet Saul has a heart condition. And his heart condition is that he has a hard heart to the things of God. And so we're going to pick this up in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13. How foolish, Samuel explained. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established 
your kingdom over Israel forever. That God had had enough. Now, who's this guy Samuel, and how is it that Samuel gets to talk to a king like this? So Samuel is the last of the judges. We've got a book in our Bible, Old Testament, called Judges. And it really is a little bit differently than the way that you and I think about judges. Because a judge was a prophet. A prophet of God that God gave special authority to, to be able to lead his people. Because they didn't have a king, but they had a prophet. They didn't like that, though. They really wanted a king. Samuel is the last of those judges, those prophets. And Samuel is somebody that God approached and said, I'm going to give the people a king, and you need to anoint Saul. And so he does. He anoints Saul, and he follows what God wants, and, and he anoints him, and he keeps giving him advice and guiding him and leading him. But God has let Samuel know. He's had it with Saul. He's had it with his hard heart, and he, now he is done with Saul being the king of Israel. Verse 14, Samuel's talking. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. That, that, that you didn't keep it, you didn't obey it. And we're going we're gonna to end up taking a look at, at another time that he did not keep God's command. And so as we look at this, Saul had already been told that, that his rule is coming to an end. You, you would think that, that when Saul heard this, that Saul would be going, okay, you know what, I, I need to have a change of heart. That this is a wake-up call to me, and I need to clean up my act. I need to change some things about who I am. But, but when it came to this rebuke that he heard, instead of responding to this rebuke with correction, he ends up responding with rebellion. He had this opportunity to correct things. You'd think that he would have had a change of heart, that he's already been able to see and know as he read through the scripture that he had at that point, how God had changed his mind through Moses as Moses kept approaching him. And God changed it. He could, he's going, okay, well, maybe, maybe, maybe God will change his mind on this decision and I can remain king. So let's jump forward as we look at this in chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter 15. One day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. And there's an exclamation point there. It's kind of like, you know what, he doesn't do a good job of listening is what I'm guessing. And so Samuel's trying to really get his attention and go, you need to understand what God is asking. Listen to this. Get this right. Verse 2, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies have declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. So when Israel, this nation, a nation without a land, is leaving Egypt and going into the land, this promised land that God said, I'm going to give you the best land. As they're moving through the nation of Amalek, they have opposed them and didn't step aside. And so God is going, I'm, I'm going to settle accounts with them. And this next verse, as we get to this, verse 3, this is a disturbing verse. This is a verse that for some people, when, when they hear this, they're like going, I don't want to have anything to do with that kind of God. I, I, I just think that's wrong for, for anyone to do something like that, to say that and to want that. 
But you have to understand that God is holy. And this holy God is a righteous God. And this righteous God is always right. And look at the instruction that he gives Samuel to give to Saul. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies. Cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Destroy every living thing is the instruction that God gives. Now, there were times that God would allow them to plunder, go in and take things and take the best of it, and that's going to be your reward. But this is God saying, I'm ready to settle accounts. And as I'm going to settle accounts, I'm going to be done with the Amalekites. I am ready to wipe them off the face of the earth, and I am asking you to do this. So let's jump forward to verse 9. They've now defeated them, and we're going to pick this up in verse 9. Saul and his men spared Agag's life, that was the king, and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Now see, Saul's already losing his kingdom. Why? Because he would not follow the Lord's command. And now God's given this command, go in and destroy everything. And once again, he is not following the command of the Lord. And they, they picked and they, they chose what it is they would destroy and what it was that they were going to keep for themselves. That they half-heartedly obeyed God. Half-heartedly. Listen, a heart, a hard heart, is only partially obedient. You know, we know this to be true. That, 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 that a hard heart is only partially obedient. You know, you know how we know this to be true? Because we've seen this in so many places in life. We see it with kids in the relationship to their parents. We see it with employees in relationship to their boss. That, that we see it among Christ followers in their relationship to Christ. That, that a hard heart is only partially obedient. I want to just take a moment and, and look at some signs of a hard heart. That, that what are some signs? So, so that we all would take some inventory and we would come in and we would self-examine and go, where am I when it comes to my heart? That, that do I have a hard heart? Are there some signs that my heart is growing hard? And so as we look at this, this isn't an exhaustive list, but it is certainly something it allows us to take a quick inventory. So signs of a hard heart. You stop caring. Maybe your hard heart is, is with this relationship, and, and, and maybe it's with your career, wherever this is. Maybe it's with your education, and you, you know, I, I just stopped. I just stopped caring. That, that is a sign of a hard heart when you just stop caring. Conviction is lacking. 
That is a sign of a hard heart. It's, it's where you have this knowledge, this intellectual knowledge, and when you know the difference between right and wrong, and you don't feel the conviction of that wrong, and you're choosing to do wrong because conviction is lacking. That is a sign of a hard heart. Passion is absent. And this is where we have to be really careful. Because see, what we think we can do is we think we can compartmentalize. And we think, you know what, I'm just going to have a hard heart right here for, for this particular area of my life, for that person, for that particular institute, whatever it is. I'm just going to have a hard heart there. But it starts to infect our entire life. And, and, and we lose passion in life. That we just lose it. And we start losing passion in other areas. We get to the point where we go, you know, we just stop caring in, in, in other relationships and, and, and in other things. And we begin to lack conviction in other areas of our lives as well. And the last thing I'll share with you is what once felt meaningful now feels mechanical. It's a sign of a hard heart. That it was so meaningful for you to be involved in this. It was so meaningful for you to be doing that. And now you are just going through the motion. It is the sign of a hard heart. Saul suffered from a hard heart. And he had a hard heart to the things of God. And you would think that this would have been a wake-up call. As, Saul, as Samuel tried to get Saul's attention and spoke to the king very frankly. But he did not have a change of heart. Verse 10 says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was deeply moved when he heard this, and he cried out, to the Lord all night. It, it's a stark contrast. That, that what you see here is you see here's Saul that has a hard heart, but yet Samuel has a soft and pliable heart. And, and how we know that is because Samuel was somebody who he had the authority to lead the nation. And God told Samuel, listen, I'm, I'm going to give them a king. They keep begging. I'm just going to give them a king, but I'm going to choose who that's going to be. And you need to anoint him. And that was Samuel that was now going to give up the authority that he had over the people. And so he does this. And he backs Saul. He tries to help, Paul, help Saul. Tries to help direct Saul. And now when God finally says, I'm done and I am sorry that I ever made him king. Not only is God's heart breaking, but Samuel's heart breaks too. And I don't know if it's breaking because he's going, you know what? I failed, I, I didn't do enough, I didn't help him enough. I, I don't know why, but he knows that that was what God had planned and God had intended, and it was not working because Saul had a hard heart. So he weeps over God's decision. That I think it's very possible that both of these men thought, okay, God's going to change his mind. And he's going to allow Saul to, to be king and, and to remain king and, and to have that kingdom last in his family after generation after generation after generation. But it is not going to happen. Verse 12, 
Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, hey, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Arrogance. Pride. He went to set up a monument to himself, and then he went to Gilgal. Verse 13, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. See, his heart is so hard that he can't see that it was partial obedience. And he thinks, I've obeyed what God wanted. I I think that that Saul here, he's kind of excited and he's hoping he's going to get to hear some news and everything's going to be okay from here on forward because now he's obeyed God's command. Verse 14, then what is all this bleating of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle that I hear Samuel demanded? Why is there the bah and why is there the moo if you obeyed God's command and completely destroyed everything? What am I hearing? And Saul, with his hard heart, gives a defensive response. You know what a defensive response is, right? It's an excuse. And he gives his excuse. It's true that the army spared the best sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted. But they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. And we have destroyed everything else. Which wasn't true because the king was alive. King Agag was alive. But as he makes this excuse, it, it, it would not surprise me if that was a kind of in the moment. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, that, yeah. That's what we're just we're going to sacrifice. That, that's why we've saved them all, men. We're not keeping the plunder, you know. And, and we're going to make this sacrifice. I don't know for sure, but even if his heart was a heart that says, hey, from the very beginning, we decided this is what we were going to do. It's not what God commanded. It's not what God asked him to do. Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, stop, listen to what the Lord told me last night. And again, we see Saul, what did he tell you? He's still thinking everything's going to be okay, right? What, what, what did he tell you? Tell me what he said. And Samuel told him, Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and he told you, Go and what? Completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? So why? Why would you do this? And Saul, who is still in denial of his disobedience, he tells him. But I did obey the Lord. Saul insisted. I carried out the mission that he gave me. 
I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. It's what? Partial obedience. And he's acting as if it's full obedience. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Think about that. What is it that pleases God more? When we just make some sacrifices, and this is what we're tempted to do, right? We're tempted to, hey, you know what? I, I haven't done all that I'm supposed to do. I haven't behaved the way I'm supposed to behave. And so, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm going to give a little bit more this week, and maybe that'll make up for it. Or I'm, I'm going I'm to serve, and I'm going to serve in an extended way, and, and hopefully that'll make up for it. And we think of these things that we'll sacrifice. And we go, I'm going to give these things up, and, and hopefully that'll kind of clear things up. But see, he's asking, hey, Saul, do you know? Do you know what's more pleasing? Is it the sacrifices? Or is it just the obedience? Listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than the offering, than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness, as bad as worshiping idols. And he's letting Saul know this is what has become of you. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Do you remember how I started out? I said, listen to what the Lord told me. Because you have rejected his command, he is rejecting you as king. Saul failed to please God. That he was more interested in pleasing himself and pleasing others than he was in pleasing God. We need to understand what a heart looks like that pleases God. And so, just a short list for you. A heart that pleases God. A heart that pleases God is humble. That a heart that pleases God is humble because without humility, we, we think of ourselves too much. It's not just that we think too much of ourselves. We think of ourselves too much. And we need to be humble. And God seeks the humble because they're the ones that are most likely to give God the credit that he deserves. That a heart that pleases God is willing. That it's a willing heart. See, God directs our path, but it's only when there is a willingness will we step onto the path that he is directing us toward. And so it's a, it's a heart that pleases God. It's a willing heart to do what God is showing, to do what God is revealing. Because if we don't have a willing heart, then all we have is an informed heart. I know. But we don't get to say, I do. And a willing heart doesn't just know, it does. And a heart that pleases God is surrendered. It's surrendered. It's surrendered to him. It's not my will, but your will. That a heart that pleases God is surrendered. And Saul's heart 
was no longer surrendered to God. I want to just quickly chew through one last passage with you. And we've got to back up in the Scripture to get here. And as we back up in the Scripture, we're going to go to Deuteronomy. And as we look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 14. But this is where God gave some instruction. And this instruction that God gives, it, it, it is decades before this takes place. With Saul becoming king and the nation having a king. But look at this. You are about to enter the land the Lord your God has given you. They've left Egypt. They haven't entered their land. When you take it over and settle there, you may think, we should select a king to rule over us like the other nations around us. If this happens, be sure to select a king. Be sure to select as king the man the Lord your God chooses. And you must appoint a fellow Israelite. He may not be a foreigner. The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. And when we get here, this is the first, uh oh, as Saul is king. But there's more. The king must not take many wives for himself. Uh oh. Because they will turn his hearts, his heart away from the Lord. And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth and silver and gold for himself. Uh oh. Guilty of that one too. When he sits on the throne as king. He must copy for himself this body of instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. I don't know. I, I do not know if Saul did this or not. But I'm pretty convinced that he didn't do what was after this, even if he had taken the time to pen this. Verse 19. He must always Keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord, his God, by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. This regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he is above his fellow citizens. Another uh-oh. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way. And it will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. Saul had this. He just chose not to heed it. He had it, but he didn't heed it. He didn't follow it. I love what the former theologian A.W. Tozer says, we are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. Think about that. That's what we're called to. We are called to this everlasting preoccupation with God that our minds would just keep thinking about and thinking about and thinking about the Lord our God. We've become preoccupied with Him to live our lives 
for him. This is what we are called to do. When you love God, you will chase him. When you love God, you will chase him, not because of what he can do for you, but because of what he means to you. That's why we chase him. Not because of what he can do for us, but because of what he means to us. So so here's a challenge that I want to leave you with. That if you're somebody that you are in more of a casual mode in chasing God, that I want to challenge you to move into athletic mode this week. That, that, That you would chase God athletically. You would be moving swiftly and quickly to be with him. And some of you, you do this, and I can't, I can't encourage you enough to keep on keeping on. Some of you, you have some routines, and you go, this is what I do to spend time alone with God daily. This is what I do in prayer. This is what I do in scripture reading and devotionals and just learning and growing, and that's great, and keep on keeping on. But for those of you that that's not part of your routine, I want to give you a way to do that this week. Be athletic this week. I want to encourage you to get an app on your phone if you don't have this. Uversion Bible app. Uversion's all one word, and just search for that on your smartphone. You don't have a smartphone? You can do this on a computer, and you can use Uversion on a computer. But this Bible app, it's a great app. You're going to find that there's so many different translations you can be reading from. I teach from the New Living Translation. I think it's a great one, but there's other great translations too. But don't just get the Bible app. That, that's still casual. You got to get in it. And so here's what I want you to do. I I want you to plan. I I want you to get into a Bible reading plan. And at the bottom of your phone, one of the buttons that you can touch is plan. These plans that are there. And and I want you to pick a plan. And a plan that, that I've already read that I would encourage you to is to read this plan after God's heart. It's going to be the very first one that pops up when you search that. It's just a five-day plan for you to get in athletic mode and begin to chase God who is chasing after you. That you can do this and it will be meaningful when you begin to chase him, not because of what he can do for you, but because of what he means to you. Let's pray. God, I pray that where we might have a heart that has become hard, I pray that you would reveal that to us. I pray that you would just start chipping away the stoniness of our heart. Even if our heart's not hard towards you, it's just hard toward something else or someone else. I pray that you would chip that away. I pray that we would begin to have a heart that pleases you, a heart that's humble, a heart that's willing, a heart that is surrendered completely to you. God, grow us as we seek to grow in you. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.